morning, everyone. I've had a lot on my mind lately. Let me tell you about it, and I'm going to. For those of you who don't know, Mom is building a house in Montana. And I don't know if you knew that, but now you do. So now we all are aware that Mom's building a house in Montana. One of my jobs has been to sort of take over a little bit of the the monitoring and the maintenance and to help pay the bills and make sure everything is, is moving smoothly up there with her construction. And one of the things that I have been thinking a lot about is the fact that at this very moment, she has no water at her house. The house is almost done. We're almost ready to start moving stuff over, but there is no water in the house. And about a month ago, they started digging a well and listen, I'm a city kid, as you're going to totally get from this lesson. I have no idea what it's like to build a well. I'm obviously not up there doing the work. But as I'm told, I'm learning a lot about what it takes to find water under the ground. And I figured maybe I could share some of that knowledge with you today. I'm obviously you know, totally open to hearing your experiences about this. I'm sure some of you have had way more experience digging a well than I have. But as a kid who just you know, turns on the tap at home at the city of Chandler, it's like, yeah, that's, that's my experience with getting water into the house, but it's not so easy when, you, when you're out in the middle of the boonies. And so we've been digging a well up there, and I think it's been a, a really eye-opening process that I just assumed they would, you know, dig a, a little hole, you know, a couple feet down, and then all of a sudden, you know, like in the cartoons, water would be shooting out of the ground, and you know that actually isn't how it works, believe it or not. And I've been sort of worried a little bit about whether or not we would find water, how much water we would find, you know, how many holes we would wind up having to dig. It's been a whole process for us. So let me tell you about our lesson this morning. And I'm going to have to take a, a bit of a tangent because this is the penultimate lesson in our series that Sean and I have been doing about putting our hand to the plow. And if you'll remember way back, probably in about February, I did a lesson called In the Field. And it was basically covering a lot of the different fields that we can be working in in our lives today. And it's working in the field of our heart, working in the field of our family, working in the field of the church. And as Sean talked about last month, starting this conversation about working in the field of our community. Working in the field of our community, how we have a responsibility to work and get to work in the field of our community, those lost people around us, and there is so much work to do. And it was really interesting when I was going back to that lesson that I did, sort of introducing these various fields that we could work in, we sort of referenced there as, as part of working in the field of, the, of our community a verse that we're going to find in our passage today from John chapter 4. So if you will take out a Bible, please turn with me to John chapter 4. And as I was reading through this story here in John chapter 4, you will imagine my surprise when all of a sudden Jesus is sitting at a, a well. There we go. So that's, that maybe you can start to see my thought process where I'm thinking about wells. Jesus is sitting up here at a well, and he is trying to evangelize to this Samaritan woman. And it's just like all the pieces, the puzzle pieces sort of lined up. And I was like, I have to talk about well digging here in this lesson. When we move on now, talking about entrenching habits. What do we do in the field of the community? What do we do 
in the, the, the lost world in which we live, how do we go and share the gospel with people? And I hope you'll see this morning that Sean's first lesson, where we were talking from Acts chapter 22, where Paul is basically standing up publicly and addressing a, a, a whole bunch of Jews, right? This is almost the exact opposite of that lesson in so many ways, in which, you know, you may never evangelize like Paul did, standing up in front of like a whole crowd full of people where they're upset at you and they're angry and they're shouting at you. And th these are Jews who are like, you know, should know better, they should know the law. This story in John chapter 4 is almost the exact opposite, where Jesus, sitting quietly alone with a Samaritan woman, like almost the exact opposite of the first story. But I think from both of these lessons, we'll see a great balanced picture of what evangelism can really look like when we take it out into the world. When we take the seed of God's word into the world, into the community, into the lost world in which we live, what can we do? And here in this story, as Jesus sits by this well with this woman, I think what we see him doing is working well. Jesus is the master teacher. And one of the things that Jesus does that blows me away every time that I see him doing it in the Gospels is his ability to talk to people. And his care, his love, his concern for people who are lost. And this story here in John chapter 4 is one of my favorites. Because he is able to do something with her that yes, while they're sitting by this well, I know that's part of the picture here. And I know we've been talking from the standpoint of like planting seed, but let me sort of change the metaphor just ever so slightly. Don't you see what he's doing in her heart? Don't you see what he's doing in her life? He is digging his own well deep within her heart. He is digging his own well. He is looking to see whether or not she will respond in faith to him. And Jesus I think Jesus has a leg up, obviously. It's a little unfair because Jesus, as we've been talking about so often, Jesus knows hearts, right? This is one of the things about well digging that I've been so impressed by is that, like, you look down at the ground, you say, well, there's no water there. But if you had x-ray vision, you could look under the ground, you could look deep within the ground, you could say, well, there's water down there. You know what Jesus can do? Jesus has the x-ray vision. <laughs> He's looking down at the ground. He's looking down into her heart, and he knows there's something I can work with there. You and I, we don't have that ability. We don't have that expert x-ray ability, but Jesus does. And as Jesus interacts with this woman, I think what we see is him working well. And for us to see some lessons from this today, I think we can learn how to evangelize. We can learn how to talk to people and deal with people and teach people the gospel in a way that Jesus teaches us about here. And so we're going to talk a little bit this morning about working well and I think the big idea here in this lesson is that if we want to develop strong and productive believers, which I think we all want to do, right? All of us want more and more people in the church who are strong and productive for the Lord. That starts with us first being productive and effective workers in the field of the lost. If we let more generations go where we don't get out into the world and evangelize and teach people, then the church is going to dwindle down into nothing. And we have seen that in so many areas, haven't we? There have been so many churches who have had to shut the doors because there are no longer effective and productive disciples. Why is that? 
maybe because we're not getting to work in the field of the lost like we should. We can do all kinds of work in ourselves. We can do all kinds of work in our families and our all kinds of work in the church. But if we don't move beyond the borders of these four walls, or however many walls we have here, if we don't move beyond the borders of this congregation into our community, where will the church be generations from now? And so I think what we can see is that we have some, some habits to put into place. We have some, some work to do when we go out into the world and start trying to teach people the gospel. When we start trying to dig our own wells in the hearts and lives of people that we know around us, we've got some work to do. And Jesus teaches us a great lesson here. Because I think the first thing that we see here, and the first thing that I've learned in helping to, to build my mom's well and to put all the stuff together and in place up there in Montana where she's doing all that work, we've got to choose a spot. Like that's, the first, that's the first thing you do, right? You've got to choose a spot. You know, if you don't choose a spot, then you're never going to start digging the well and you're never going to find water and you're never going to be able to take a shower in your house if you don't first start by choosing a spot. Which spot do we choose? Mom's got 10 acres up in Montana, and literally, I mean, you could just choose any spot. And the guys up there, they just said, like, well, one spot is as good as any other spot. They started digging in one spot, and they went down a, a bit, about, a, about 100 and some odd feet, and they hit this rock. And the rock actually broke the well casing that they were dealing with there, and so they had to pick up everything and move to a different spot. And they asked, well, where do you want us to choose to, to dig next. And I said, I don't know. And he said, I don't either. Because any spot is about as good as any other spot. And here's the thing that we learned from this story in John chapter 4. If you, go, if you go near to the end, and this is the verse that we used in that in the field lesson when we were talking about the various fields, this is what Jesus tells his own disciples. Now, this is sort of like fast forward in the story. We're not going to read all of this story in John chapter 4. I'd encourage you to read it. But when his disciples come back, after Jesus had talked to the Samaritan woman for a good little bit, he tells them in verse 35, Do you not say, there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. The fields are white for harvest. In, in the parlance of well digging, there are lots of spots. There are all kinds of spots that you can start digging your well. There are all kinds of people who need to hear the gospel, aren't there? There are so many people around us all the time who need to hear the gospel. This Samaritan woman was one of them. And oh, by the way, she was about to go find a whole bunch of her, her countrymen to come back. And they're about to, to head back to talk to Jesus some more for about two days, actually. They're going to talk about about faith in Jesus. They're going to talk about God and his plan and the gospel plan of salvation. He's going to go through all of this with them. And they are all a, a white field ready for harvest. You know, I think for a lot of us, we, we miss this point. And I think a habit that we need to develop is starting to see that people are receptive. I know it'd be real, it'd be real easy for us to look at the ground, say there's no water there. There can't be water under there. Look, at, look, look around. There's no water anywhere around here, right? It'd be real easy for us to say that, but are we willing to do the work to find out? And what Jesus is saying is you've got to do the work to find out because there are lots of opportunities out there. This woman, this Samaritan woman was definitely one of those. 
You remember back in Luke chapter 10, in verse 2, at the limited commission, we sometimes call it, where Jesus sent out his 70-some-odd disciples, 70, 72 disciples, sent them out, right? And what does he say? He said, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. The problem is not with the harvest. The problem is not with the ground. There is water under the ground. There's just not enough people willing to dig it. There's just not enough people willing to get out there and harvest it. And that, I think, changes the equation for a lot of us because we almost convince ourselves sometimes that no one is going to listen. No one could possibly turn from their sins and come to Jesus. Nobody could possibly do that. We might say sometimes, or we might develop that mindset from time to time. But what Jesus is trying to get his own disciples here to understand is, look, open up your eyes and see that it's time. So here's maybe the application for us in, in this, this point in the lesson. Something that you can work on. If you, chat, if you struggle with this, because I do. I struggle with this from time to time. If you also struggle with this, imagine people like the Samaritan woman. Imagine people are like her, who are just on the edge, who are just ready, might be ready. They're, they're so close. Imagine people like that. You know, I know it's easy for us to think that, that people will never listen, or they don't want to listen, and so we just don't even try. But imagine people as being receptive, and let them prove to you that they're not. Imagine that there could be a, a, a spark of faith, that there could be percolating, percolating up from their heart repentance. It could be right under the surface. And imagine with a positive mindset that that could happen. I think that'll change the game with how, how much you approach people. I think for a lot of us, we need to just drop our prejudice. We need to drop, and I'm not talking like, you know, racial or, or you know, economic prejudice or anything like that. I'm just saying like, sometimes it's easy to prejudge whether we think someone's going to respond to the gospel or not, isn't it? Oh, they're never going to respond. But we'll quit that. Because Jesus is telling his own disciples here, quit that. <laughs> Open up your eyes. Lift up your eyes and see. Look around you and notice. And so I think it's a, a, it's a shift in our perspective to where we are optimistic about people's chance of coming to the Lord. You change right? Didn't you change? And if you could change, don't you think others can too? And maybe we'll get into a little bit of the reasons why in just a second, but I think we need to choose a spot. That's the first point. And then moving on from that, going up there and learning all this stuff about digging mom's well, I have learned a lot about the equipment that they use to dig a well. I'm just thinking like, oh, well, they're going to, you know, grab the shovels, I don't know if they actually own a shovel up there because they, they, they've got equipment that I've never even seen or heard about. I mean, this stuff is advanced. They're up in Montana. They have no idea what's going on under the ground, but they're using some high-tech equipment. And I've learned a lot about it. They've got this like eight-inch wide bit that, you know, it's not huge, but it's, it's pretty big. And then behind that, they've got this six-inch wide casing, concrete casing. And they basically just push that bit into the ground and just keep pushing it and pushing it and turning it and turning it. And they keep pushing it. And you have to know your equipment. If you're going to use that kind of equipment, I'm, I'm, not, a, I'm not capable of, of you know, taking care of that job. These guys know their gear. They know their equipment. They know exactly how it works. They know exactly how it functions. And you can imagine 
being hundreds of feet under the ground and having no idea what's down there, no idea what's happening. But these guys know just from the way that it's turning, just from the way that things are moving, how it's actually working and what's happening. They know what's going on hundreds of feet under the ground without even being down there, without even having cameras or anything down there. They know exactly what's going on because they know their gear and they know how it works. And as I learned about that, as I learned about all the, the, the sophisticated technology that they have, you go to Jesus in this story, and let me tell you, Jesus knows his equipment when he talks to this Samaritan woman at the well. Notice here, as we talked about in, in our scripture reading, notice here in verse 7, where does this conversation start? It says, a woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, give me a drink. Now, would you be surprised if we fast-forwarded to verse 29 and found out that she tells all of the people in her town, come and see the man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? Jesus knew his equipment. What am I saying there? He knew the word of God. He knew how to talk to this woman in a way that, that she would respond to. Of course he knew the equipment. He is the equipment. He created the equipment. He is the word. He knows exactly what he's doing. He is masterful in the way that he can start a conversation by saying, give me a drink. And this woman, not very many, probably hours later, is telling everybody that she found Jesus Christ. She found the Messiah. Now, come on. Jesus knows his equipment. He knows his Bible. He knows the scriptures. He knows everything that he needs to say. It reminds me a whole lot, by the way, of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8, of course, when Philip approaches the chariot. And what is the Ethiopian eunuch reading? Isaiah 53. He's reading from the scroll of Isaiah 53, and, the, and Philip says, do you understand what you're reading? And he says, no. So he gets in the chariot, and he has a conversation with him, and he is able to lead him from Isaiah 53 to the waters of baptism. <laughs> He knows his equipment. He knows his Bible. Jesus obviously knew the Bible. Philip knew his equipment as well. And you and I need to know our equipment. What I'm really saying is we need to know our Bibles. We need to know how to, how to lead people to Jesus. And, and it would be really easy for us to maybe memorize the Bible or try to learn all of the Bible trivia so that we can give like clever answers in Bible class. But no, the reason why we know the equipment is so that we can use it in the field of the lost. That's why we need it. That's why we need to know it. So that we can lead somebody from give me a drink to knowing who Jesus is. So that we can lead people from Isaiah 53 to, to the waters of baptism. Where are our conversations with people going to start? Do you know? Do you know where your influence, where your interactions with people are going to start? Maybe they'll start from give me a drink. Maybe they'll start from Isaiah 53 in the chariot. Maybe they'll start from somewhere totally different. Uh, you know, I, I remember Ryan Goodwin used to say, and I, and I challenged him on this a couple of times, and he actually did it. He proved it to me. He used to say that he could let his Bible fall open at any place, and he would try from there to, to, to lead to Jesus. Whatever passage he wound up finding himself in, he would try to lead to Jesus. And it wasn't just some sort of parlor trick. I mean, we've seen this plenty of times 
within lessons where you're back in the Old Testament, you're seeing something that has nothing to do with Jesus at all, but it actually does. And maybe we need to get better at knowing our equipment. And that means we really need to be using it. That means we need to be skilled in using it because Jesus shows us that if we want to to have the kind of mastery and skill as we go out into the world and teach people, we need to know what we're teaching. We need to know who we're teaching. And this is not, this is not some really challenging thing where like only Don Johnson can go and evangelize, right? It's like all of us can do this. Every one of us can do this because what convinced you about Jesus? There is a well in your heart that someone made the connection from that first little dig all the way down into you believing. Where, where did your faith come from? And you can share that with people. At the very least, you can share that with people. But if we need to, if we need to be out into the world teaching people, we need to know our equipment. And let me just say one more thing. Besides just knowing the Bible, we also need to know the equipment of our influence. John talked about this in his lesson about the seed about how people need to know that we care. Imagine, imagine being a, a religious person, maybe a Jew in the time of Jesus, but seeing, seeing all the hypocrisy of the Pharisees and not wanting to, anything to do with that. Not wanting anything to do with the, the way that they would say one thing but do another, the way that they would try to bind all these really impossible to bear burdens on people. Imagine, imagine being a... a a seeker, but being met with that kind of a mentality. What we need to do very carefully is examine ourselves to make sure that when people start listening to us that we don't become a stumbling block for them, that our life, our choices, our mistakes, the things that we do, do not become a stumbling block for them because I know Jesus had a lot to say about stumbling blocks. We need to be very careful that we are not an impediment to people believing in Jesus. And so we need to know our influence, and we need to know God's word. Make sure that we can get out there and teach people and explain to people in a clear and understandable way. You don't have to know Greek. You don't have to know, you know, the, the old King James, thou's and thine's and hitherto's. Like, just talk to people about Jesus. You know what convinced you. Help them to see the same thing. And so we also see here that Jesus... Well, he develops the trickles, and you probably have no idea what I'm talking about there, so let me explain a little bit. So as mom's well was being dug, like I said, it was certainly not at a point where they started digging down and like water was just shooting out of the ground. That's not at all what happened. As they were digging down about 100 and some odd feet, they found just a little trickle of water, like not even enough to sustain a well, like maybe a gallon a minute, just real, real light. And they ran across that and they said, okay, well, that's not enough. So they kept digging. And they came across another trickle and they said, well, you know, about, about 400 and some odd feet. Okay, well, that's, that's not enough either. So they kept digging. And finally I got a call and, and, and I was starting to get really concerned because they hadn't found anything substantial in the well that they were digging. And the contractor, his name is Warren. He's like a super old school guy. He doesn't actually, uh, he doesn't have a smartphone or he doesn't use the computer. He faxes everything and he's, he uses a phone where he's got to type like 111-5522 to text message, you know? So he calls me on the phone, which I knew it was serious when he called me. 
And he's like, we found a trickle. We found a third one. And he was so excited. He was over the moon. I was like, cool. <laughs> what are you talking about? And so he starts explaining to me what happened, what this is all about. And while they, while they found just a few little trickles of water wasn't enough to sustain a, a substantial flow of water, here's what they do. It's called perforation. I don't know if I'm blowing anyone's minds here. This is what happens, though. They go down at that level. When they marked it down, they said 100 and some odd feet, 400 feet, you know, whatever. They'll go down and they'll actually shoot like bullets into the ground and poke holes in the ground and develop the trickles so that this little stream of water winds up becoming something big. It becomes a big deal. And so when they find enough of those, they can poke enough holes in them to where it actually becomes a productive well. And I was shocked by this. And so when I start seeing here in this story, Jesus is developing trickles of his own. And I love, if you get nothing else from this lesson, this is one of my favorite points. I love the way Jesus goes in this conversation to talking to this woman about her adultery. In verses 16 to 19, Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you're right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands. Jesus, of course, with his x-ray vision, knows exactly what's happening. He can see into her life. He knows what's going on. And so he says to her, go call your husband. I have none. You've had five. And the one that you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. And the woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Jesus sees here in this woman a trickle. And what do I mean by that? He comes across, he uncovers something in her life that a lot of us would run from. A lot of us would abandon the effort right there, wouldn't we? Would a lot of us get super uncomfortable when we dig deeper and deeper and deeper into somebody's life? And that's really, that's the picture I want you to get. When you invest yourself in somebody who is lost in the community around you, you are, you are getting deep into their life and you are going to come across things that might make you give up. Like this woman's adultery. This woman's an adulterous woman. <gasps> A shocking thing. Five times over she was an adulterous woman, and Jesus doesn't poke her in the eye. He doesn't tell her she's ridiculous or a, a huge giant sinner and run away. No, Jesus notes it and moves on. Jesus uses that opportunity to develop her. And as he uses this, as he talks about this, she responds and says, I perceive that you're a prophet. He doesn't burn his bridge. He doesn't give up and throw, up, throw in the towel and go to a different person. He sticks with her. Because when we come across people in the world, in the community of the loss that we live in today, and we find out the deep and troubling nature of their sins, don't be surprised. I don't know why sometimes we pretend to be surprised that lost people are lost, right? What do you expect? They don't have Jesus in their life. They don't know the right way. They are in the dark, as we all were until we came to Jesus. Don't be surprised. And Jesus is not surprised. It also reminds me of, of Paul's reaction in Acts chapter 17. Of course, one of the great, another great evangelism passage as Jesus is talking there in Athens. 
right? Or Paul is talking there in Athens. Paul has gone through and he's seen all of the idols, right? He's seen all of their idolatry and he doesn't run away. He says, I, I perceive you are very religious. He's, he's complimentary. He doesn't poke them in the eye. He doesn't call them stupid. He doesn't run away. He continues on that point to tell them about who the true God is. He uses that trickle and develops it. And I think that's so powerful what we see Jesus doing here. I think it's something that we all can learn from because we are going to run across things in people's lives that might cause us to be afraid, that might cause us to throw up our hands and say they're never going to listen to us, they're never going to appreciate Jesus, they're never going to repent of their sins, and we might just move on, shake the dust off our feet, so to speak, and leave. But Jesus, Jesus sticks with it. If we want to develop people into, into productive disciples, we have to deal with their sins head on. And here's, here's one of the, the differences between Sean's lesson and mine today. He talked about the Jews' pride, right? Because the Jews didn't think they had sins. The Jews thought they were so much better than everyone else. And so when Paul started talking about the Gentiles, Oh, they just, they lost their minds. When people in the world face their sins head on, that is what motivates people to come to Jesus. Because they know they have a need. And as Jesus points out this woman's sins, he's not condoning it. He's not saying, oh, adultery is fine, don't worry about it. No, he's saying, I know you know better. And I know you know you need me. And that's what winds up happening. As this woman eventually believes in Jesus, her sins are what are leading her to understand that I need Jesus. And that's what we can do with the world. We can develop people, help them see their sins, help them see that they have a need. And so let's just stick with it and not run away when we think that, that people are too far gone or lost in their sins. So the last point. And this goes with some things that Sean was talking about this morning, but we need to be patient. We need to be very patient. Let me tell you how deep Mom's well is in Montana. By the way, the, the well, just for context, just for reference, the well that Jesus is sitting next to here in John chapter 4 is, by all accounts, if you believe the archaeologists and the scholars, we don't actually know when the well was built. It was Jacob's well. Jacob, this land that he had given to his son Joseph. Joseph's bones, I think, are buried somewhere nearby here. We don't know when this well was built, but if, if scholars and archaeologists have actually found that well, and it's the same one, it's like seven feet wide and 106 feet deep. Now let me tell you about how deep Mom's well is. Picture in your mind the Golden Gate Bridge. The, the height of the Golden Gate Bridge is shorter than mom's well. Mom's well goes like 790 feet into the ground. That's a deep well. And you know what we found in there? Three trickles. That's it. Be patient. <laughs> every day, I, every day at one o'clock, Warren gives me a call. He's like, well, we went 100 feet. We found a trickle. Okay. We went 100 feet, nothing. All right, what do you want to do? Go another 100. And that happened over and over and over again until we almost hit 800 feet. 
And finally, we stopped. Finally, we stopped. And here, here is the, the impressive reaction that Jesus has to his own disciples here. Because we've talked about it ever so slightly, but there's a lot of prejudice, obviously, involved in Jesus talking to a woman, also a Samaritan woman, because Jews and Samaritans don't have any conversation or dealings with each other. And so this is a really shocking thing. And there in Acts chapter 4, verse 27, as his disciples come back, you can just see the picture. You can see their faces. Like, it doesn't describe their faces here or what they're actually doing. But it says, just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? They were just like, what is happening? You, you should not be talking with this woman. I mean, in their brains, in their minds, they're thinking that. But they just, they know better at this point to put their hands over their mouth, right? Don't say anything to Jesus. Don't say anything to him. But in their heads, they're all thinking it. Why on earth are you talking to her? And Jesus goes on to explain what is happening, what is going on here. And they, they start to talk to him about food. You know, do you, are you ready to eat yet? And Jesus says in verse 32, but he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. And so the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? And Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. And so you see here, so you see that Jesus knows what this is all about. He knows that he's got work to do. He knows that he still has more to dig. He's not ready to leave. He's not ready to pick up and move. Because he's got, he knows he's got another two days worth of teaching going on when, when this woman brings all of her people back. But he says, I've got work to do that you don't even know about yet. Jesus wasn't afraid to be seen talking to this woman. He wasn't afraid to be close to the world. He wasn't afraid to be alone with a woman, a Samaritan woman, to teach her about him. He was not afraid of that. And I think it is so important for us to have the discernment to know when to dig in and to know when to move on. Because for so many of us, myself included, I would love to have thought that mom's well, we could have d dug down like a, a Bismack Biombo height, you know, down into the ground, maybe like a real tall basketball player and let, like, oh, there's water down there. But no, it's like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, like the Golden Gate Bridge down that we went down. And that was, that was what it took to find the three trickles that we found. For some people, it is going to take work. For some people, it's going to come easily. We are not all going to have the kind of reactions that, that Philip had, right? We are not all going to have like a, a chariot's ride away from, from leading somebody into the waters of baptism. Wouldn't that be nice? Wouldn't it be awesome if everybody's soul could be one with like a short car rides conversation? Some people need a lot more than that. And you know what? Some of us are going to put in work. Some of us are going to put in work in people's lives. We're going to sit and we're going to talk and we're going to study and we're going to explain and we're going to answer and we're going to do all kinds of things. And they, they will never become productive servants of the Lord. We will never find water. We will never find a trickle. We will never be able to develop anything meaningful from their life. But you've still done the work. But here's the question that we asked earlier this morning. 
Do we invest ourselves in, in a project that is always going to be unfruitful, or do we know when to move on? Because Jesus talked about brushing the dust off of our feet. He talked about that with his disciples when he sent them out. Paul and Barnabas, as they were going out and talking to the Gentiles and just beating their heads against the wall over and over again, finally, after they talked to the Jews and finally had to move to the Gentiles, they realized we've got to brush the dust off of our feet. We've got to move on. You know, when we hit 800 feet and Warren calls me up and says, you want to go any further? At some point, you just got to say no. At some point, you just have to know when it's time to move on. And for a lot of us, we've invested time and energy and effort into people's lives, and they will never come back. And that's sad. Especially when we've done the work. Especially when we've done all we could. It's not a failure on you. They are not rejecting you, as, as Sean talked about this morning. They are not rejecting you. It's about Jesus. And that still stings. Because we've been so invested in people's lives, because we've cared so much about them, because they're so close to us and we know the potential that, that they could have, but we've done, we've done our part. So we need to be patient. We need to just not assume that people are going to roll down to the front to be baptized after one conversation. It's going to take time. It's going to take effort. And maybe that's why we shy away sometimes from getting too involved in people's lives. Maybe that's why we don't embrace our work in the community in which we live as often as maybe we could because we know deep down in our heart that it is going to take time and it is going to take energy and it is going to be dirty and messy and grimy and uncertain. Trying to lead people to Jesus is not always simple. As we saw this morning, you know, wouldn't it be nice if everyone was a Samaritan woman? But that's not always the case. And so be ready to know when the right time to move on is. Because everyone's situation is going to be different. And, and it, wouldn't it be awesome if there was like one sign or like the Bible gave us like, you know, three points, you know, the, the three-part sermon on, how to, on when to know how to move on. You know, it's, everyone's different. Everyone's life is different. Everyone's situation is different. And we just need the discernment to know when that is for people. But, remember our first point. Remember our first point, that the field is white. Remember that, that, that there's all kinds of opportunities to dig around you. Where are we going to go next? Where are we going to spread the gospel next? I don't know, but there's a lot of places. The harvest is plentiful. It's the laborers that are few. And so let's get to work. I know we've sort of ditched the planting metaphor for a, for a well-digging metaphor, but I, hopefully you see the connection that Jesus makes with this story. The, the way that Jesus teaches us about how to be a habitually effective well-digger. Next lesson, the last lesson in this series, we're going to talk about the fruit of our labor. What does it look like when we have worked, when we have planted the seed, when we have, when we have watered that seed in the world, what is it going to look like when when the community around us is blessed by our effort. And fortunately, I don't have to preach that lesson because that's going to be Sean. <laughs> Are you a good worker in the community of the lost? I know I, I can be better at this. Maybe you can be better at this. I, I know there are people who just have no problem striking up a conversation with just like random 
somebody in a coffee shop or whatever. Like, I'm not always that person. I'm outgoing, but to a point. Maybe you are somebody who, who needs to be better at your approach with people. Get to be a better conversationalist. Get to be a better worker in the community of the lost in which you live. Because there are so many people out there who need you. They need to hear your message about Jesus. And as we sing that song sometimes, I know I didn't really sing that song. I should have probably told you maybe we could sing this song. You know that song, The World's Bible? You are oftentimes the only example of Jesus shining a light into the dark world that people will ever see. So use your opportunity. Dig a well and dig it deep in people's lives so that maybe, maybe someday they'll come to respond in faith. And maybe you need to do that today. Maybe you know exactly what you need to do. Maybe you know that it's been past time for you to give your life to the Lord. What will your answer be? How are you going to respond to the gospel call? How are you going to respond to Jesus now or maybe even in the last day if you wait too long? How are you going to respond to all of the calls, to all of the the urging and the pleading if someday you've rejected that call? You know that you need to give your life to the Lord now. Please come as we stand and sing.